feel anxiousness in the atmosphere that's not expectancy or waiting on God for him to have his way, that is stress and it's not from God. It speaks to an underlying worry that something will not be good enough or that it will not go well. enough or that it won't go well. This is what I felt the Lord told me. This is a confession that that thing you're worried about is a confession that it's not done through God. What do you mean? You tell me I can preach and not preach through God. I can sing and worship and pray and not do it through God. Well, if you are doing it through God, why are you worried about how it's going to go? that the thing is not done through God. If it's not done through Him, it's done through our own selves, our power, our might, our abilities. And then, kind of added this part, we cannot be critics because critics produce all the things that we just talked about. A critical person So 
thinking about the wrong things because we're caring about ourselves and whether we do good enough. So which is worse, that or simply not caring at all. There's a similar attitude, though it seems 100% opposite, that says, it says, Kesara, Sarah. Whatever's going to happen, we'll just let it happen. What will be, will be. And that's an attitude. That's an attitude that gets into the church or that we bring into the church. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just so kind that I won't even judge at all. I have zero expectations. Is that right? Do we come to church with zero expectations? Do we approach our relationship with God with zero expectations? Uh, what if, I'm not even, it's going to be fine, it's just, I won't judge anybody, I'll make sure I'm not a critic, I won't be critical about anything, so I'm just going to sit here and wait till I'm told I can go home. That's, that's the way to defeat the critic. Just don't care. That attitude that says, this attitude is really saying, I am so disconnected that I don't care. I'm so disconnected. I can't, no one's going to accuse me of caring about what happens here. I'm so disconnected.
who are reading our mail than being somewhere where there's no conviction or no challenge to our spirit, to our, to our walk with God. I want to want to constantly be challenged because I know that I'm not there yet. I'm not glorified yet, so there's a whole lot of work that God can still do on me. I want to allow him to do that. I feel like everything that's been said and done today is just been in the Holy Ghost. So thankful for. And when the elder said, when he said, probably misquoted, but regarding the Lord being here to do an individual work for each of us. I uh, just felt like that was confirmation as well of uh, a few of the things I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles and return with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. visits him, gives him what we know as the Abrahamic covenant, 
tells them, I'm going to make you a great people, all these things, and do all these things for you, give you a land. And then I think it's verse uh, 10, I want to say, Genesis 12 and verse 10. After that word from the Lord, uh, there's a famine that hits the land. And so what does what does Abram do? He decides to go to Egypt. Why he decided to go there, I'm not sure, but then that's where the story unfolds, where he he tells his wife to tell everyone that it's his sister, and you know, one of the one of the mistakes of, of Abraham's life, and it all started with with a famine hitting the land, and him feeling like, okay, I know I just got a word from the Lord, I know the Lord just spoke direction to me, but a famine hit, and so I should probably go and figure some things out. I should probably go and. Uh, go to a place that's maybe a little bit more fertile than this one at the moment and uh, preserve myself. And I can't help but think of that statement. I feel like it's been said in the last three or four services, but self-preservation is what it seems like these individuals did when a famine would hit. And it's it's logical, right, to, to go where there's food when there's famine. Um... But in this in this area uh, of, of the Middle East, it's of course it's a desert, and so they're very dependent on rain. And uh, it's amazing because even with the children of God, but also with the heathens, also with the people of whether they're Egyptians or Babylonians or whatever they are, who have you know, serve a multiplicity of of gods, they all believed that whether it was God Yahweh or God whoever. They all believed that the rain and, and the harvest and the sun and all those things were controlled and dictated by, by God or by a God. And so it's, it's no uh, stretch to believe that here in, in, in Ruth when Elimelech, uh, who's the man, and, and his wife Naomi, it's no stretch to, to say that he could have probably assumed God had stopped the rain. Because that rain had stopped, that, that that's the reason that the famine came. And um, we see other scriptures for this as well in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And when the Lord's giving them the law and all these things that he expects them to follow, he says, there's multiple occasions where he says, if you don't, I can shut up the heavens, cause there to be no rain, and your, your fields would yield no fruit. And the principle there is if there's no rain, there's no fruit. And so it's important that we have rain. And I, the last couple days that there being rain, I just thought it was pretty cool. And uh, maybe that's just another sign from the Lord. I don't know. But I think it's the same God today uh, of the Old Testament. So who knows? Uh, we'll keep reading here. So that's all just a little bit of background. Okay, keep in mind. So the famine, uh, famines would come because of a lack of rain. Right? The crops aren't going to grow, and there's no rain. There's no, there's no flow. The, uh, and, and in Israel, that area, the the Jordan, during the harvest, it would overflow its banks, and it would it would be they would everything would be green around it, and the crops, the harvest would be good. Um, but in the in the seasons that weren't winter or spring when the rain typically came then a lot of times that Jordan River because the Jordan River is it's 
pretty small. And a lot of times that river in sections can even completely dry up. And so you can imagine when a famine hits, there's not as much rain as they would want and expect. And there's not much yield of crops. You can imagine what they're seeing is, is a little bit grim. And so it's, again, it's logical for them to move from where they were into another land. Uh, and I'm going I'm to try to just do some reading here now. So verse 2, they just, they moved, they went to Moab. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The name of his two sons were Nalon and Chilion. Let's go with that. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and, and they remained there. Uh, and another translation, it says that they sojourned. They went there. In the first place, they went just to sojourn. So that word sojourn, it's, it's somewhat, I, I think of it kind of like, a, like an off-ramp or, or a rest stop on the side of the highway. It's not a place that's intended to be a permanent residency. Uh, or not even, you, maybe you could, if you had a trailer, you could spend the night there. But it's, it's a place of sojourning. It's a place that's temporary, that's just supposed to be passing through. Uh, so initially they sojourned there. They remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. So they left to get away from the famine, but things didn't go their way. Tried to take matters into their own, own hands, and he still died and suffered from it. Now they took... Uh, the, the two sons, they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. Ruth. Uh, and they dwelt there about ten years. So this place is supposed to be temporary. Now became a place that they spent ten years in. And uh, then things got worse. Both the sons, they also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. This is Naomi. So she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, while she was in Moab, she heard. She heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And I'll, I'll skip forward and, and spare all the details here. You know the story. She tries to send them off and say, look, your people are here. You have fathers here. Go remarry. I'm, I'm too old now to find another husband and then have more kids. And then you wait for those sons to grow up so that you can marry them. Uh, why don't you just go back to Moab and find you some new husbands and you know, carry on with your life. And so she, she, uh, believe she hugs Orpah and, and then kisses Ruth or vice versa. But one of one of them decides to leave and stay. Orpah decides to go back to Moab and and, uh, and that's that's okay, that's well and good. That's what her mother in law suggested, right? And then Ruth Ruth I don't know why I'm struggling. Say her name. Ruth uh, decided to stay with Naomi. And um, so they go and uh, I'll pick up in pick up in verse 18. 
verses after that exchange that she just had with them. And speaking of Ruth, she saw that she was determined to go with her, so she stopped speaking to her. She stopped trying to convince her otherwise. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, and the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. But she said, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She said, Call me bitter because the Lord must have been bitter with me for me to end up in this situation. He's dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full. Watch this. She, she went out full. She went out with a husband with sons and and now she's, the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So they picked a good time to come back. So they'd heard the, they'd heard, it, the Bible says, Naomi had heard that God had visited the people and given them bread. They were now being, they were now out of heart, or not out of harvest, they were out of famine, and things were well and good again. And so she decides, okay, you know, my, my sons, my husbands, my, my husband, they've, they've all died, and so I think it'd probably be a good, good idea to go back to, to this land that I was originally from. And I think it's no coincidence either that Bethlehem uh, in Hebrew, it literally means the house of bread. And so where she initially had left and where they left during a time of, of famine, which again, as I mentioned before, was, was no doubt by the hand of God. And throughout Judges, we see the Israelites just continuing in and sin and, and judges having to come and pretty much bail them out and uh, fight all these different people that tried to come against them. And, and so she decides, okay, you know what? We've, we've done things our own way. We've done things that have been right in our own eyes for long enough. And it hasn't gotten me anywhere. It's actually, it's set me back even further than when I started. Because when I started, even though it was in a time of famine, I, I left full. I left satisfied because at least I had a husband. At least I had sons and a family. And at least I knew that once they found wives, that ideally we would have uh, our name, our generation would continue. Uh, but based on the scripture and, and as it continues here, her and her husband didn't have any more sons. And her sons and daughter-in-laws didn't have any sons either and this is the reason she's trying to get them to go back and marry and have more children so that at least you can carry on the name of your father or or your family and um, so if you, if you know the story of course they go in and it's during the time of harvest and this amazing thing happens where Boaz part of the family decides to be the kinsman redeemer for youth and for Ruth wow. <laughs> and uh and all turns out well and good. But it all starts with their response during the time of, of famine. 
deciding that you know what we we might be in a land that that's in famine right now and it might look better below us it might look better above us below them would have been Egypt where we see Abraham at times going to and and then other stories I think it's a few chapters later in Genesis where Isaac there's there's another famine that hits the land and and before Isaac gets the chance to flee and go to Egypt as well the Lord actually visits him and says don't go to Egypt don't go to the uh, first place that you guys seem to want to go uh, maybe because of its fertility and the Nile River and seems like things are always better on the other side right it seems like once famine hits that everything to the north and to the south seems to look better and that was the trap that Naomi and and her husband Elimelech fell into a season of famine hit the land it hit Bethlehem it hit this house of bread that God had led them to this land that God had promised them and because they in their humanity and in this spirit of self-preservation decided to take matters into their own hands their lives the lives of her husband and, and their sons were lost because of it because they didn't have the patience to to wait and to trust on trust in God for what he would do that trust in God that in due time and in his season that he would bring the rain once again and I know this is this is simple and and it's raining outside today obviously I didn't plan that <laughs> um, but what I what I feel like and believe for for us individually but also the church and you know we're, we're blessed here in, in America and I think it's probably safe to say that every every American that's at least native to here, born and born and raised here, probably never experienced famine. Um, you know, we've, some of us different life and circumstances, no doubt, have at times wondered where the next meal would come from, and maybe went days and had been hungry and things like that, but, but we haven't experienced famine in America. But if you think about those countries and those lands that were so dependent on rain, for their for their crops for their fields that if it didn't rain and, and Bishop I know can probably relate to this with whether it's rain or, or just the right climate and conditions for harvest or whatever the crop may be it can as as Elder was talking about it can bring that stress it can bring that that anxiety into your life of wondering okay the the circumstances around me don't really look ideal for the crop and the harvest that I'm expecting and, and intending to bring in. And the things that I think and I, I believe are necessary to sustain me, to keep life within me. The things around me aren't really looking the most ideal. And uh, as a matter of fact, they're looking the opposite of ideal. They're, they're looking uh, famous and uh, dry. I just made up a new word. <laughs> and like I said, we, we've probably never experienced famine ourselves here in America, but with the it's e it would be easy for us to with the current environment and we, we talk about it a lot and even though I try not to but with the current environment of our of our country and and just the world we we have this sense and this feeling that that the end is near that the return of the Lord is is soon and so as as Christians as believers what do we believe with that well 
We believe that there should be a harvest, right? We believe that there should be a reaping that should be coming soon. And it would be easy for us to look and be discouraged and say, God, well, where's the rain at? Where's the, where's the watering at that's going to bring this great harvest? Because I, I, I see it in the Word. I believe it's promised. But, you know, there's maybe 50 or 60 of us here today. There's however many over in Sela and Puyallup. And, you know, we have a good group there. But it's not even a fraction of Washington State. It's not a fraction of, of America. Right? Like, how, God, how are we going to accomplish this? How is this going to happen? And it would be easy for us to turn to the ways of, of Egypt or turn to the ways of the Moabites and the Am- Amorites and all the otherites or the Philistines, these, these people that represent the flesh and the ways of the flesh. And the children of Moab, it's, I, just, I love looking at the history of, of these things. The children of Moab, they actually originated uh, with Lot and his daughters when they came out of of, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, thank you. They came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot's daughters went into Lot to try to preserve his name. And so they went into him, and the children of Moab came from one of the daughters of Lot through incest. And so they they don't really have a good reputation. They're they're not really the greatest people. And it, it wasn't against the law for Israel to marry with them, but it was a little bit frowned upon uh, for that intermingling with the Moabites because of their origin. And I, I believe that, and there's been message after message of this, that we're in a time of, of, of course, separation from the world. I listened to to Thursday night and Sila and just powerful ministry about God separating us from, from the things of this world. And I, I deal with this in myself because of just, I don't know, social media, different things. We, we see everything that's going on, right? We feel like we're connected in, to everything. And so we have the influences of, of Moab, of Egypt, of, of this place, of that place that could push us and say, look, you just do this one thing, just do this one little marketing thing or read this one book about church growth and and man, you could triple your numbers in, in two months. You could you could grow, right, substantially. Just just go and, and do some of the things that, that Moab does or that Egypt does to to water their crops. And I think of the scriptures that talk about if 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 God doesn't plant the seed if and I'm paraphrasing, but that it's it's gonna be rooted up. Whatever God doesn't plant, he's not going to be satisfied with or happy with and so I I don't know how this fits necessarily individually I guess I guess the way it, it would fit individually would be whether you are in the group with Elimelech and Naomi or whether you're in the group with Ruth and Orpah maybe you originated in the land of bread or the house of bread and through circumstances, through famine, through life situations, you you went out a little bit, and you've maybe tested the waters and and some other areas and some other things that you thought could satisfy you, and you thought that could satisfy that longing, that hunger, where the bread of of God once filled. Maybe you're in that group, or maybe you 
you know, you're just, you're brand new. You were brought in, you were, quote unquote, married in to, to the Bethlehem Judah family. And, and now you're here and you're wondering, okay, do I, do I go back to my, my people? Do I stay with my tribe? Or do I reassociate myself and continue to connect myself to this place that it seems like they have famines a lot? It seems like things don't necessarily always go the way they want a lot. But man, when they go the way that they're supposed to, they really go the way that they're supposed to. <laughs> when they really, when they obey God, I mean, it's like God's involved in their situation. And when they disobey God, well, it's like God's involved in their situation. <laughs> it's like the hand of God's against them. And so it can be a, it can be a intimidating thing to essentially to commit to the complete control and leading of God. But I feel like in these in these end times, if we're going to reap the expected harvest, the promised harvest, that we have to move from the place of the judges where they were without a king, they did that which was right in their own eyes, and we have to move to a place where God is going to set himself up in us individually and over the church as a whole as the king. King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one last, just one last note here that I see in this story is, of course, Ruth. She goes on to marry Boaz, and and that's where that's where the I think it's like three generations, but three generations later, David comes from the second king of, of Israel, and then the line of David leads, of course, to to Jesus. And both of them, both David. And Jesus, the King of Kings of the line of, of David, both of them were born in Bethlehem. Both of them originated in, in Bethlehem. This land that at one time had a famine, at one time these people left because they thought it was better on the other side. It's the same land that King David rose from and then eventually Jesus Christ. And so I believe that I know that we're going to see the harvest in these times, amen. Regardless of the rain, if it doesn't seem to be falling on our fields at the moment, I believe that, and I think of the scripture in Kings that talks about humbling ourselves. We always think of the part where God's going to heal our land, but there's some precursors to that. And it's that we humble ourselves seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. And so I believe that I know for myself, again, as this may be only for myself, but if, if we were to live by three things every single day, I think those three would be as good as any. Humble ourselves, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Then we have a promise he's going to heal our land how does he heal our land? Well, he sends rain. And what happens when he sends rain? The other day I, I pulled into these people's house I wasn't familiar with and the driveway kind of blended in with the grass and so I pulled straight into the grass <laughs> and it had been raining. So what, what happened? Once I pulled out I realized, well, the ground was really soft. So of course, left a good imprint in the ground. But when the rain comes, the ground is going to be softened. The ground of people's hearts going to be softened and then that seed of the word of God is going to go forth be planted 
and it may look like famine right now but man I believe that there's there's rain coming I believe that there's harvest coming for the church and for each of us get in and go with him. And it didn't matter when it was, but whenever I would have to get into the truck with Bob, there was that tackle box. Hooks on the seat. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, it was always this, sorry, sorry, sorry. You never know when you might want to go out and thrash the waters a bit. And then there were times when I would leave the company in Tompanish and go to Portland, make a delivery, and come back over Sadus Pass, and I was driving back past Sadus Creek, notoriously there was Bob's pickup. Alongside the river, and there he was. Ration the waters of Sadus Any time there was a moment, he was ready. That gear was always half out. Not tucked away, not in the garage. I'll have to go by the house and get my picture. No, 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 no. That was Bob. You know those old gun racks in the back of the window? That's where he is. Now, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. How many fishermen we got here? I went fishing a couple of times. My mother, feeling sorry for me in my youth, bought me a Zebco reel. And I went out by the fireman's pond, it was called. I don't know what happened. I was getting ready, trying to, you know, I fisherman. And I set that pole down and I stepped on the cord handle. Before I casted it the first time, I had it was broken. I did my best, you know, threw it out there. I never caught nothing. A couple of times down at my dad's house, he lived in Seabright, New Jersey, and we would cast out and catch flounder. Now, we caught fish, yeah. Okay. But to call me a fisherman? No, no. I, I, I fish when people invite me to go and they have all the gear. I don't have a license. I never buy a license. I don't have a pole. I don't have bait. I didn't even know what to get. 
there's fishermen, and then there's Bob Begler. There's fishermen. They always have their gear. They're always ready. Now the Bible says, after you receive the Holy Ghost, you shall be witnesses unto me. How many witnesses do we have here? Now there are witnesses and there are those that witness. At the gas station, at the drugstore, at the neighborhood, to the paper boy. while we were eating dinner. My wife said, we still need to get rid of some of this stuff. I said, what stuff? She told me, she said, I don't have a picture. I said, I can come up with a picture. Google Images. Used mattress. There's one. Used mattress. Post. Free. Before I could set my phone on the table. Ding. Ding. Ding! I'm on my way! Where's the address? Ding! Is it still available? Ding! Is it still available? And I'm losing track. But ding, 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 ding. So I try to honor the first thing. Okay? We are eating dinner right now. But as soon as we're done, we would love to. So we followed up, drove over there. Guy shows up. He's playing Christian music in his truck. There's two kids in there. I said, you know, my wife's in the car there. She can stand by the kids. Oh, we go inside and get the mattress. Anyway, chance encounter. Are there any chance encounters? think there's going to be any chance encounters because of the day and the hour that we're living in? Every encounter is a moment planned by Him. Every soul, every fish, where's the line? Where's the net? Are we ready for the hours that we have come into? talking about one day there's going to be a harvest. The white fields are ready. Everywhere we go. Why do you think you've got that nail in your tire? What about it, the lady at the collection office at the dump? Are there any chance encounters we have the spirit of witness upon us. We have an unction from the Holy One. We have the quickening of His Spirit working in our lives so that when we open our mouth and we begin to communicate, it registers with the hungering soul of a man that says, That's what a soul cries out. 
That's the cry of the souls that came up to God from Sodom. Don't you think the hour that we're living in, there's a cry that comes up to God. We are the players on the field. We were elected for this moment. We were elected for this hour. Which brings me to mind. give you a term core doctrine of redemption core doctrine of redemption where do you begin do you have it what scripture that's not where I start that may be where you start alright but do you have a starting point I can remember for so many years. I just, you know, I just don't know where to begin You need a starting place. You need a point for any conversation. Elder Flowers shared with us that he went to a tire shop. That's what his intention was. And then, while he was waiting for the tires to get changed, he said, i got to get a haircut. Post his haircut. Wait, oh, right here. Not necessarily where he would always go. So now he's in a business that he's not normally there. In the chair, she's cutting the hair. In the chair, she's cutting the hair. Where do you do? What do you do? He told us bad answer is, well, I work at the courthouse in the county middle. And then he said he made a comment about his ministry and responsibility at Life Church. Next statement. When do you baptize people? I'm telling you, there are things that are on the hearts and the minds of people because of the hours that we have come into. Some of them are backsliders. Some of them are just the lost waiting to be found. My mother, my sister got baptized out in Selah somewhere. And I want to get baptized the way they got baptized. My mother got sick during COVID. telling you, the field is so right. The world is so right. And they're waiting for what you have to share. To tell. Any answers? I don't even know the questions. But there's a big empty place in here. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? That's what those men did at Passover in Jerusalem after hearing Peter minister to them. Conviction filled their heart. What do we do? 
Well, uh, well, uh, you, you know, come to church with me. I'm going to. Or why don't you stop by sometime? There's a real hook in the jaw. I'm telling you, now is the time more than ever. In the scripture, you got to know. You got to know where to begin. You got to know where you're taking them. Matthew 28, 19. Luke 24, 47. Acts 2. Acts 8. Acts 10. Acts 19. Acts 22. But it can, you can lead people in a path to the plan of redemption. Because God gave us the plan. He gave Peter the keys. People are needing the keys. I met Cole Black a couple of months ago. He texted me one night. He said, there's some people in St. Louis. I've been talking to them over the phone. Would you mind calling and talking to them? Sure. So I called Albert and his wife, and we sat there and Bible studied for about one hour. And a week later, they said, we're ready to be baptized in Jesus' name. What do we do? Let me help you. There's a fisherman I know. I think it was the name either you or Miko gave me. And we reached out and they connected. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't that hard. All that work. Oh, wait. of the blood that atones that forgives sin and we will give an account
honestly, I've tried. The Lord's taken me back to that, and I've tried to rehearse that and make sure that that stays my posture, and not just in on a Sunday in service, but everywhere, anywhere, everywhere, all day. Whatever you do next, Lord, it's not going to surprise me. If you put me in the path of a person that tells me they've been watching our services online for three years, and they've been wondering when we're going to meet, that's not going to surprise me. Whatever it is, you put me in the path, you know, one of my son's football team teammates says, whatever, it's not going to surprise me, you know, whatever it is, that's, that's where we all should be living, where we're not surprised, in fact, now we're ready, <laughs> can you imagine if that friend, Bob, the fisherman, had met another guy that said, man, have you ever been to such and such? this prayer it's not about us it involves us but it's not about us it's about those that the Lord is going to have us reach Lord I want to be ready God I'm making myself ready right now Jesus I want to get all the distractions out of my life God I want to get all the other voices out of my life all the inhibitions Lord that would say no I can't do this for this reason I can't speak because of that. Lord, I need to move past those. Jesus, so that I would share your word. So that I would share the truth of who you are. In the name of Jesus. This front's open. The altar's open. If you want to come and pray, I'm encouraging you. Don't leave here today until you know you're ready to share the gospel. Don't leave here today until you've committed this to the Lord and said, God, I am ready, I'm able, I'm willing. Jesus, not because of my own endeavors, but because this is your plan. This is your purpose, Father, to endue us with power, to endue us with power, to witness, to witness the Word of God, to share the Word of God, to be instant in season and out of season, to always be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that lies within us. God, I want to be ready. Jesus, I want your word to abide in me. 
I want your word to abide in me, Lord, so that when I speak, it's not just my own thoughts, but it's your word. It's the truth, the life-changing power of your word. In the name of Jesus, let it abide in me. Let it abide in me, Father. In the name of Jesus, I commit myself, Lord. I commit myself right now to you, Father, to speak your word. Let my spirit be engaged with you. Let my spirit be engaged with the work that you are doing, God. You are ever ready. God, you are always willing. You are always willing to reach a soul, to speak a word of life into a soul. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 